0: Episode 9 of the UC Architects Podcast, recorded Sunday, October 7th, 2012. I'm your host, Pat Richard. Today I'm joined by my co-host, Exchange MCM John Cook, Link MVPs Justin Morris and Tom Arbuthnot, Exchange Architect Dave Stork, and our special guest uh, returning yet again, uh, Exchange MVP Elon Shudnow. Welcome, guys. John, what's up with you these days?
1: Hey, how's uh, it going? Good talk to everyone again um just same old working uh working on a qs issue with link that took quite a while to, to, to solve uh, and uh just recovering from Mac.
0: <laughs> good deal and uh, justin you couldn't make it to Mac, but you're a link guy anyways that's okay what's new with you
2: uh yeah i've been uh, going really well uh, with work just on a ongoing project um for quite a large um firm in the uk since uh, january with uh Quite ambitious voice deployment uh, uh, schedule to go with. So just been um, as a sort of senior architect and consulting resource on that project.
0: Oh, good, good. Tom, what's happening with you these days?
3: Hey there. Um, yeah, usual stuff. Um, lots of link deployments still ongoing. Um, recently, looking into call recording options for Link is uh, is pretty interesting at the moment. Um, but yeah, other than that, just doing more and more voice deployment. Really
0: uh, good. Would well, be interested to to see what you come up with. Call recording uh, options, as people may. Uh, remember, our first couple episodes were recorded via the built-in link uh, recording, and the quality wasn't quite what uh, what we needed it to be. So we moved on to something else. So be interesting to see what you come up with.
3: Yeah, this is this is for a financial deployment, so they're looking for clients, and there's there's a fair few options out there. So it's just weeding down what's what's real from what's marketing at the moment, which is uh, quite interesting. Yeah, I'll bring it back when I've uh, got some interesting things to talk about.
1: Yeah, I'd be definitely yeah. interested to hear that. So they want to record the voice and like sort of the voice for compliance, also. Yes,
3: yeah, yeah, like compliance. Wow, because yeah, it's enterprise voice deployment. They want to the compliance. Yeah.
0: Program. Oh,
3: Interesting. Cool. cool.
4: Dave, uh, what's happening with you? Uh, well, nothing, nothing much really. Uh, j- j- still recuperating from uh, the Microsoft Exchange conference, <laughs> especially the jet lag, uh, which always hit me quite hard. But I took a week off, so um, and I'm going to start again working on uh, on Tuesday on uh, some some exciting Exchange stuff, and also doing some some uh, presentations about Exchange 13. So that oh, that's very, about it.
0: Very cool. Elon, welcome back. What's happening? Thanks.
5: Uh, just working on the same voice deployment uh, that it was when I last talked to you guys. Um, it's pretty much 20,000 seats um, just across the U.S., not inter- international, but um, it's uh, basically a healthcare deployment with hospitals being doing full PBX replacement. So my time has been pretty busy on that and probably will be for a long time. So that's pretty much what's going on with me these days.
0: Oh, good. All right, our top stories. Uh, a quick uh, shout-out to uh, Tom for being re-awarded his uh, Link MVP for a second year. So congrats, Tom. Yay, yeah, congrats. Yay. And uh, Mahmoud Magdi, who's not with us today, but he was re-awarded uh, for the third time for exchange. So uh, congrats to him. So I'll go last week. Yay, Woo! <laughs> <laughs> And um, the big topic, uh, Mech, the Microsoft Exchange Conference. Of course, we've been uh, talking it up big uh, for the for the past couple months. And um, there was a group of five of us that made it uh, down there, and a couple yeah. of us are online today. Yeah. So, um, uh, John, what'd you think? What were your impressions?
1: Oh, I think it was pretty much the most awesome, uh, you know, con- uh, technical conference I've ever been to. Um, and I had never been—we talked about it in previous episodes—I had never been to any original Mechs. So other than TechEd um, or something like that, this is the first, you know, kind of Microsoft conference I've been to outside of TechEd, and it was—it uh, was quite awesome. I, you know, again, it was awesome. You know, con- you know, content-wise was cool. The venue was cool. I thought the the Gaylord Palms um, was a pretty cool place to have. Yeah,
0: that, that yeah, was sure. that was nice. Um, yeah. uh, the the one.
1: Yeah, it was really
0: the, the, cool. The one I thing. Thought- that- that you know, I, I really like is is the same reason why I really like the Connections Conference, and that is that the conference is in the same location as the hotel. So if you need to walk back to your uh, your hotel room, you're not jumping on a shuttle. And um,
1: right, yeah, and it was like, and it was all you know. It's for people who have never been, been to this. It's like it's a giant hotel that's under like a giant dome atrium, and so you feel like you're outside, yeah. but you never really are. I in the building. It kind but of it feels like, like you are. You
4: are, you're on a marsh colony or something in the future.
0: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, and,
4: yeah, but it it was actually very but, nice. Uh, yeah. Yeah.
0: Complete with alligators. Yeah.
4: And yeah, 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 I mean, I was showing
1: pictures to my family, and they were like, you got to be kidding me. Um, but so, yeah, so, I mean, the venue was cool, and the uh, content was cool, but for me, you know, the social aspect was amazing. I mean, I got to meet all you guys uh, from the podcast. I met up with a bunch of MCMs uh, from my rotation and other rotations and talked to people. Um, they, with, with not much warning, they had the MVPs, I, I think, also, but MCMs had to go, and yeah, we had were assigned shifts for different topics to the whiteboard down on the, uh, the uh, exhi- exhibition floor. And, you know, again, like I said, nobody really knew this was going to happen, and... Uh, uh so each day i had to go and you know answer questions from customers and, and people it was pretty interesting
0: yeah the the MV, the mvps had to do the same thing i uh jokingly referred to myself as a booth babe um <laughs> And uh so uh Microsoft decided that at, at somewhat the last minute to have the the yeah. MCMs and the MVPs and some of the product group people uh, man some of these giant whiteboards down in the exposition uh area and um uh, and assigned us some categories some of which uh seemed to fit some people and some which did not. Um I I was uh, tasked with uh compliance and e-discovery but um John what did you get stuck with?
1: Yeah, same thing, and then, uh, like, migration stuff. But, yeah, it wasn't – I mean, it didn't seem like anyone was staying on topic. I had some guy walk up to me and started talking about transport for for an hour. And uh, um, so, yeah, it wasn't sort of like – people didn't pay attention to what thing you were standing at, usually. They had a question they wanted to ask it. They were going to ask whatever they wanted. Right. yeah, and then the second day, I had really interesting, because I had people, who, you know, I worked, for a, I, I worked for Microsoft on the Link dedicated team, and now I'm working for a customer who's a Link uh, 365 dedicated, or Office 365 cu- dedicated customer, and, you know, that those environments are kind of out there compared to normal uh, deployments, and I had two people, you know, walk up to me like, hey, do you know anything about 365 dedicated, and I'm like, ironically, yes, so I was talking to this guy from Chrysler, and we're whiteboarding a huge, you know, exchange migration, it was, you know, pretty cool, and, you know. Uh, to just be having this this, this glowing uh, t shirt, orange t shirt, <laughs> people coming up to me. Yeah,
0: the me. the t shirts. Um, you know, imagine the 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 MCMs had the the bright orange ones, and the uh, the MVPs had <laughs> yeah. the bright green ones. Both of which would show up brightly under a black light. Uh, they were somewhat hideous hideous looking. I, I but, didn't uh, envy
4: you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, yeah. It, uh, but I mean they certainly did grab people's attention they, you know everyone knew what they were for and you know people even outside smoking people came up to me and started talking about link dedicated it was just crazy um you know how they, so I'm glad they, I'm glad they did I thought it was a great idea I wish they would just would have told us a little bit
0: yeah you know one, one of, of the was, things that I really liked too is they kind of brought in some of the product group people and I know that there was um one group there uh, where the guy that owns pretty much the ESE engine jet engine mm-hmm. yeah. was there and he was able to talk at the uh, at the you know one yeah, Brett, yeah right? one thousand level about everything oh, yeah, that goes on with Jet. So uh, this wasn't uh, marketing material. This was down in the weeds. Um, everything you needed to know about something, and, and people were there to help out. In fact, I, I would say that at some of those whiteboards, there was probably too many people sitting there ready to help.
4: Yeah, was it was it a lot? Uh, had, uh, yeah? Did you have a lot of people? Coming to you or because the sessions were quite full, uh, at least the sessions I wanted to uh, visit. So uh, I'm wondering uh, if a lot of uh, spillover went to the uh, exhibit hall and to you.
1: It seems like it, on, on, my, on my shifts, I couldn't believe how many people, especially Wednesday, I got bombarded. It was like I'd, I was talking to one person, two people were queuing behind him, you know, I turn around to somebody else. It was just kind of like I was like almost, you know, close to overwhelming it for a minute. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow. I'm, you know, yeah. You know, so it was a lot people of people. People
0: were definitely prepared to ask very specific, detailed questions. Yeah. Right. Well, so –
1: I had a guy talk to me about transport, and I didn't really have an answer, and he wasn't really happy about it. I'm like, you know, I'm like, don't yell at me, <laughs> you know. I'm like, go to Bill Thompson's transport class, and we'll all find about find out yeah. the answer, you know.
0: Well, Dave, you you bring up a a good point. Some of the sessions were full, yeah. And uh, one thing I noticed um, there at the hotel was that some of the session rooms were a little smaller than in some other. Um, tech conferences, say, as TechEd, mm-hmm. and rightly so, there was a lot less people there at the conference, um, Microsoft did repeat some of the sessions well, the, uh, a the, couple of times. Yeah, yeah,
4: they, they did repeat uh, uh, the ones that were probably the most popular ones, uh, which which I really did like, uh, although the, the, the schedule yeah, was I would, a bit... Yeah. Um, Slow uh, and not very easy to use, so you you still had to. Well, eventually, I just used my uh, hard copy uh, uh, session planner and just uh, went went along. Also, I, I always tend to uh, skip session at the last uh, uh, last minute or, or uh, go to another session because I've just met someone and he's going to another session. But yeah, well, um, well, one uh, critical thing, uh, one that they should improve in another uh, uh, mech is the seating. The seating was, uh, well, basically awful. Um, The seats were too close to each other um, and and that was, well, that made it uh, uncomfortable. Uh, Yeah, I, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Uh, well, uh, at, th- at times I just preferred to sit on the floor uh, at the sides and and uh, and well uh, enjoy the session from there. Um, but well, that was less optimal, and especially with with, with if you weren't um, uh, quick enough to go to a session, and yeah, you could have uh, well if you were lucky, you could get a front row seat or something like that uh, on the sides. But well, you had to be lucky.
1: Yeah, and I think I think yeah, you're right. I mean, and I think the place did, did a good job trying over the you know Monday was kind of a mess, but they kind of figured it out as they went, and and you know it got to be the point where if I was if there was a session that I really really want to do, I didn't even bother like taking any time from break. Yeah, I just went
4: Right, exactly. you know, right well, to the session. It yeah. wasn't a do lot of time good. for breaks. It was 15 minutes most of the times between sessions, so right. you had to go from one side to the other, another, especially if you had a um, popular session or you already knew that it was a popular session. So you yeah, you just had to go right mostly straight straight to the other session or uh, if you were lucky you could sit in the same session room there was also they, they also um, changed the rooms uh, for for some sessions that were originally in smaller rooms and then uh, were placed in bigger rooms so that they uh, I think that they monitored um, and uh, that progress or the the, the popularity of some uh, some of the sessions uh, during Mac uh, quite well I think uh, and and responded with the best they could. But, uh, uh, well, the, 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 on that part, there was a lot of improvement possible. Uh, but uh, other than that, that, that is actually um, only the one big thing that I, well, well, negative about Mac, because all the other things, it was just awesome and great. One of the best technical conferences, well, no, uh, the best technical conference I ever joined uh, attended, and that includes... Uh, well most of the TechEd Europes uh, since uh, 2007 or eight or something like that uh, and one uh, Tech at North America. I didn't uh, attend any of the previous mechs, so that's a bit of a uh, I can't compare it with that. Uh, but uh I love the 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 uh, level of interaction with the speakers during most of the sessions, um, which was uh, well it was very informal. You could just raise your hand and ask ask something um, and and uh, well, that was actually more uh yeah it was a good feel for that.
1: yeah, the interactive sessions were really cool. I thought that was a great idea. Um, as long as, I mean, I didn't have any guys, but I, I know some people said, like, if, if you know, if there was really no uh, people that didn't go, they, these interactive sessions really didn't have any real content. The, the, the presenter may have mm-hmm. had a few bullet points, but really it's more about, like, you know, letting the audience, you know, ask questions. So, um, some people said, like, some presenters didn't have much to, you know, talk about, and so um um you know and people didn't ask a lot of questions so that one didn't work as well but i thought generally the the that, that type of format was awesome in fact it kind of sucked i mean the one uh, bill thompson um the transport one which was huge cuz transport is not something we talked a lot and there a lot of, there's a lot of changes in yeah. transport in, in 13 so uh I, that class could have been 3 3 times as long and i still would have been you know we still oh, had yeah, right. I, I joined so. that
4: one um uh, it was a repeat i think and it was i think <coughs> the the air conditioning in the room fell or something like that. It was kind of hot. It was complex, and I didn't take it in. But um, the, the transport thing was, uh, yeah, a uh, uh, complex one.
0: <laughs> yeah, I Yeah, I mean, yeah. I was going to say that um, I went to the, uh, the interactive session by Glenn Scales, who does a lot of uh, PowerShell development, and 40 minutes before the session started, the room was full. And um, yeah, it was it was pretty interesting. I I really like the interactive session stuff. Yeah. Um, but on the flip side, I did like the fact that some of the some of the speakers did come with a bunch of slides and some demos and stuff. Certainly. Um. I, yeah. I saw Jason Sherry's um uh, session on uh, archiving. And there was, you know, quite a few questions asked by the audience, but he was able to kind of show some demos for a bunch of different things, and it worked out really well. And I certainly like that format better than the the traditional, um, you know, Death by power. Uh, uh,
4: exactly. PowerPoint. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. That. That's yeah. exactly you what know. I meant. That. Uh, the yeah. Traditional sessions, and that's something you see. Uh, well, I, I, I saw that with Tech at Europe. Uh, f- uh, a lot of PowerPoint bullet points, and um, only a, a five-minute window for questions at the end, um, and that doesn't satisfy my need for information. Some sometimes very specific, and I think that they handled it well with uh, uh, what well, they had. Overall session with just, uh, the, especially the technical keynote, uh, by, by Ross Smith, uh, was just a, a general a presentation. Uh, and, and they did, did some session in that format, but most of the other uh, format, uh, sessions I went to were, were very open and, and you just could, could question everything. Uh, although they sometimes they had just had a white, the, the whiteboard sessions, just put up some topics from the audience. Uh, but you also had, uh, with a little intro from, uh, From via PowerPoint or a demo, and uh, then you could just ask away whatever you wanted. Sometimes even uh, questions that uh, they didn't even know or had the answer. Actually, I think that um, uh, during the conference, I got a tweet from somebody. uh, uh working hard on IT uh, from Belgium, DJ von Hoye, and uh, Hyper-V um, MVP. He asked me a question about Story Spaces and REFS, uh, whether it was uh, supported. And I asked it during the session. He didn't know, and it went on Twitter. And then the next session uh the presenter just uh, Noticed well, he, he said that it, well, it was via Twitter, and uh, we have now have the official answer, and it is supported. So that was um, uh, very funny to see that that even uh, that also the, the social media had a role during uh, the, the, the the Microsoft oh, yeah. Exchange conference because some some of the discussions were just on Twitter. But, um uh, Scott Snall and et cetera. They just responded on those discussions via Twitter or in session. Yeah. And that was uh, well, yeah. I, I appreciated very much that that kind of interaction
1: no, and that was that was one of the if there was any one theme for the whole conferences was how how. I mean, social media—if you want to brand that—but Twitter specifically right. is so huge now because it was neat, and it was like you know, for people that would not pay attention uh, while we're there, it's like you know, one guy would be in in, in one session, and we'd be in—you know—I'd be in another. They're tweeting what they're learning there. Right, there are right. We're yeah. picking up there, and then, and even over the three days when people are in the same session that you've been in, you know, people are retweeting different stuff—stuff stuff that, that 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 you know that you didn't call out exactly. or the other person didn't call out. Um, so I well, thought it was awesome. It, it you know,
4: was a, to- one other funny, funny moment was with uh, Michael van Horenbeek. He is uh, uh, well, I think the, that he safely returned home just today um, from from uh, from the United States. But uh, he was in a uh, public folder migration session, and I was in an Outlook 2013 session, and we cross interacted with each other and asked the, the the session speaker questions regarding the other su- subject. For instance, organizational forms whether they were supported in an Outlook 2013 et etc cetera, et cetera. and that kind of well that was kind of funny and i think that uh well the, the 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 speakers and and the organization picked that up uh quite quite good i think uh i think although sometimes they were a bit surprised about the level of questions the the, the highly detailed kind of questions uh but they just picked that up and uh well they, yeah they tried to answer that best as they could and that's uh, commendable
0: you know one thing that um that i really wanted to mention too was you know we talked about the rooms and and the chairs you know they had those chairs that locked together so um you know the the you'd see the typical uh, bigger sized people coming in and you felt like you were in economy class on an airplane <laughs> yeah. uh, kind of all crammed well, in there. Well, actually, what, I had more room well, especially in if economy
4: you're... Ca- class. So. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but th- well, especially if you were trying to type uh, – I was you know, trying to take notes on my on my yeah. air and, and yeah, it's still – tw- even if you have a small laptop, it's like, all right, this is kind of a tight position to be
0: Yeah, and that, that was the other thing that I wanted to bring up. Some conferences that you go to, um, there's – There's tables. Yeah. And, um, Mm -hmm. that I I think that's one thing that they really have to address in future conferences is, you know, people are going to be sitting there and some people are still on the job and have to address, you know, issues at work and answering email. And some people are taking notes, um, and things like that. And so people are using a lot of, uh, laptops and tablets and things like that. There needs to be some, some table space in order to do that. Um, as well as some power uh, your typical um, technical conference you see some people trying to find the nearest power outlet when they walk into a room
4: yeah <laughs> um, and, and i well, I, I, well I, that, for that reason alone i, I bought a, an ipad um which which can get a, get through a whole day um it has its limitations uh, compared to a laptop a windows laptop a laptop but uh well
1: yeah, I, I bought my, uh, I bought that, 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 that uh, Hyperjuice uh, juice box and that thing. That was the best 200 bucks I ever spent because I, that made my my air go all day. Plus, I could charge my phone because we were, you know, we were going to go out late. You know, I didn't have to worry about charging my phone, and uh, it was that was a good idea for, on my part.
0: <laughs> yeah, I uh, <laughs> I pulled a, a big boneheaded uh, mistake, and um, oh yeah, flew down, and um, I was in first class on the flight down, so I decided to get some work done, and uh, used up my entire laptop battery on the flight down. Thought no big deal. Got to my hotel room, went to plug it in, and realized I did not have my power supply. Right. <laughs> and <laughs> (laughs) and so um yeah and and at first i thought this is going to be somewhat of a of an inconvenience and then i realized well wait a minute i have work related stuff i have to do at least three of the days that i'm there so this became somewhat of a critical issue and um through the power of uh twitter and um and some colleagues um uh, Ed Woodruff from Dell uh, was able to scare up a, a spare power supply and loan it to me. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, but dur- but during the amount of time that 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 was going on and the subsequent you know recharging of my laptop, I pulled out my iPad and said, "Oh, let me see what I can what the conference experience is like using this." And uh, used OneNote um, and ended up using OneNote on my iPad for the rest of the conference, um, and it and it went pretty well. But partly because of the fact that the seats are so close together and the iPad was smaller and uh, a little bit easier to use in a in a in a tight area but um Definitely, they they need to to address the seats and in, in some uh, some tables there. Um,
4: did, did you John, a, what was your? Did, did you have a keyboard or uh, something like that? Because I have a keyboard, but I can can put my iPad. Yeah, I yeah. saw a lot of those, and that uh, keyboard keyboard helps a bit. With but iPad. I still agree that that they have to have a, a sort of a table arrangement or something like that, or a, at least at least a yeah, few nice. rows or something like that.
0: Yeah, my my plan was to use uh, my Jabra 410 Speak uh, microphone with OneNote on my laptop to capture the audio, um, and uh, instead I just had just the iPad, no external keyboard or anything, um, mm-hmm. and and it, wor- and it worked out uh, fairly well. So, uh, John, what was uh, what was your favorite session from from technical aspect? um
1: i would probably say bill's uh bill thompson's transport only because i think uh like i said a lot of stuff was covered um and it's hard to say but yeah and and yeah some people like don't you know transport is not their favorite thing um but uh uh just because of all the i mean uh, you know there's a lot of changes in 13 but that was one of those ones that a lot of things are going to change and um it wasn't a piece that i knew a lot about yet because even in the even in the airlift, they really didn't cover that kind of stuff as much as anywhere near as much as they did in that, in that session. So for me, that was that was my favorite.
4: Oh,
0: good. Dave, what about you?
4: Well, that's a good one. Um, I, th- I think um, I'm going uh, somewhere um, rogue here. I think that the Outlook web app was my favorite session. See, I missed that yeah. one, too. I wanted to go um, to that one, too. I schedule. think well the the, the infrastructural uh, information was already mostly out there and and uh, they uh, on the blog post uh, not a lot of us. Uh, information was already presented on, uh, OWA. Well, uh, also p- perhaps, uh, for, for me, in a bit of su- substitution of, uh, uh, ActiveSync knowledge, because, uh, well, if you read my blog, you already know that uh, there is, there are any improvements in ActiveSync in Exchange 2013, at least in the preview. Um, so, uh, I wanted to, I was interested in how, uh, what you could do with uh, OWA um, on mobile devices, and especially the, the Outlook Web uh, App, uh, well, apps, the applications within uh, OWA, um, and, and, and learn something about those uh, applications, and that was uh, c- quite interesting actually, uh, more interesting than yeah. I than I anticipated at first. So for for me that was uh, the most surprising uh, sessions, and uh, therefore uh, well, my favorite for uh, for Mac.
1: Yeah, and uh, uh, I mean, and, and yeah, then that, that whole subject really does bring up that you know the whole you know the the, the coming war on MDM and BYOD because uh, the state right now sucks, yeah, and something's got to change. Exactly.
4: Um, well, uh, if if you read, uh, I think that um, uh, just uh, this week I read a, a blog post or or an, a news article about a new issue with acting. Uh, mostly with iOS 6, uh, where a uh, in in certain circumstances a attendee and, uh, within the, um, uh how do you call that and, and, and uh, uh well uh, how does that oh I don't know how that is called in English. Uh, <laughs> well, say it, say it, say it in your native language and we'll translate it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, um, <laughs> if you
0: um... darn. <laughs> I did see um, yeah. something about iOS 6 and calendar information, especially if it went to distribution lists with Ex- yeah. a fair amount that, that's of, it, of members. An invitation, that, that
4: was... uh, meeting request. Yeah, finally got it. Meeting request, <laughs> um, uh, especially when you have somebody f- from outside the organization, and it was possible for those people to um, s- sort of hijack the ownership of those uh, uh, meeting requests uh, and that was uh, uh, quite of a well uh, again an issue at this time and an actually a bit of an issue within ActiveSync itself because it shouldn't allow it but yeah uh, coming back to to your remark john about uh, the problem with be a byod etc i uh, was also that was also an interest uh, for me to to look at uh, O W A um, and, uh, especially, uh, now that OWA is optimized for mobile devices and, uh, mobile phones and, uh, even those apps work, uh, on, 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 uh, well, they demoed it on, um, uh, on an, um, I think they called it a, a lesser quality uh, tablet or something like that, uh, <laughs> just an iPad, an Android yeah. tablet, <laughs> and uh, uh, well, and, and, and it worked perfectly in in, in the browser and um, in in uh, uh, even on an uh, iPhone. So uh, I think that that uh, should. Solve some of the issues people have with BRD uh, by just using the 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 OWA uh, as an as an application or
1: yeah, I mean, and, that, and that's what I bring up because you know the, the client I'm working for now, I mean, you know, they have, I mean, they're not meaning to be, you know, far-reaching in terms of being, you know, I, I view their policies as somewhat, you know, just kind of evil, but they're not. It's not their intention. It's just that right now the problem with say, let's say even especially iOS, um, but this would apply to any, is that you know the the uh, these policies are applied to the entire device, but. <coughs> increasingly, you know, my device is my device and, and only one small sliver of that device has anything to do with work. So why why are you control what right do you have to control my entire device that I paid for on top of it? It's not even a corporate device, it's my device. Yeah, exactly and for the luxury well, the luxury of getting your mail I have to now, every time I want to sign into my phone, swipe in and put a six-character password with with you know, six-digit uh, password with specials. I mean, that's ridiculous, you know, and so increasingly people are going to say enough. So this concept of having dedicated apps like securing containers happening now with Android, um, I think that makes a lot of sense. It allows companies to control that data um, and silo it and, you know, and, and be able to, to policy that data uh, without having to compromise the whole device. Yeah,
4: well, that that's my something opinion. I al- uh, already speculated on on my on my blog, so you can read it. <laughs> um, but uh, one final thing about OWA is um, the uh, offline uh, mode of OWA, uh, which already when I first heard it uh, did worry me, and I think a lot of other people. Uh, the offline mode uh, with certain browsers, uh, I Ten uh, and some other uh, most recent Chrome and, and Firefox uh, versions, um, you can put uh, OWA in an offline mode, and you can continue to work without even having an internet connection or network connection uh, to your Exchange server. And um, you can uh, um, uh, look into your calendar for I think it was one month or one year. Uh, you can edit um, um, and, and and compose mails, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but especially the security issues with that uh, were, um, were uh, well, I had some questions about that. And, well, they basically said, well, uh, it's not secure. The database that contains all the information uh, when you're, uh, well, when you're using OWA in an offline mode, uh, when you have enabled it, um, it, it stores it in the database, but the database, it is um, hashed, but it's not encrypted, so it's not safe. So you have to use BitLocker. So, and that, well, BitLocker, okay. Uh, we can use that with Windows 7, uh, certain editions. Uh, obviously, also with Windows 8. But uh, if when you have other operating systems, then you have uh, other issues. Uh, you don't have BitLocker, so you have to take care of that other way. So, uh, well, it, it, it made me uh, think about the option. Luckily, you can disable it, but uh, s- still... Um, um, we, uh, I think that uh, a lot of admins have to look into this uh, feature and decide, uh, together with their security officer, whether they want to enable it or not. So, but that's well, one of the last things I wanted to say about the OWA.
0: Yeah, that I think that was that was a, an interesting uh, feature that they've added. And uh I saw one of the vendors, I think it was MessageWare that has some um add-on tools for OWA including uh a captcha feature, uh but also has uh some system tray uh, apps that allow you to use OWA as your primary mail client and gives you a lot more features uh for OWA like, you know, jumping right to specific things like a new mail message right from the system tray and, th- and things like that so a lot of integration with some third-party uh products uh i tell you the the, the one session that um that i thought was pretty cool was uh scotch uh session of course anybody who's ever listened to him speak uh it's always uh, uh yeah, full of information dropping. yeah um yeah. A- as were some of you know some of the other ones too um
1: yeah, it's really hard to pick a favorite. I mean, I mean, anytime, like, like, and I was saying on, on earlier episodes. I mean, anytime you hear Greg Thiel talk about anything, <coughs> it's always awesome because he, you know, this he knows stuff like amazing. And obviously, Mister Greg Taylor, you know, he's his classes are great no matter what the subject matter because he's hysterical. Um, so you know, it's just like and people had people have been have never you know had. Presentations by some of these guys, you know, it's uh, it was always a treat to, to, well, to,
4: to, to have you know, it, <laughs> present it, it, stuff. all of them. I, I think that uh, all the sessions I went to were of high quality, uh, good content. Um, and and uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed every session actually uh, qu- quite a bit. And uh, yeah, like you said, John, it's, it's hard to, to pick a favorite, uh, but uh, yeah, uh, for me, that was the LWA, yeah.
0: yeah. J, J, uh, J. Peter Brzezzi, um, did a pretty good. Uh, session on uh, unified messaging, yes, kind of yeah. the kind of the basics of unified messaging in Exchange, and he brought in you know two little uh, slimline telephones and a little uh, audio codes gateway, uh-huh. and um, you know managed to get everything up and running so you could you could call each other and leave voicemail and everything, as well as telling some some pretty darn funny uh, 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 Microsoft jokes, uh, only to find out that the guy sitting in the front row worked for Microsoft. <laughs> um, so I know I missed all. <laughs> the UM
1: stuff because it was all kind of geared to 2010 so I yeah. was focusing on 13 stuff but yeah I miss Paul Paul Robichaud gave gave some sessions on UM and uh and he teaches the UM component in MCM and um he's he's, he's his classes are great too and, and UM is one of those things that I love and a lot of guys that are especially like our know, they call themselves pure exchange guys really you know n- not off when you t- start talking about UM but that's one of the pieces that I love because well, I I, I a wanted to world now, well you know?
4: I I think I um I wanted to uh, do the UM sessions but uh, what you said they were focused on 2010 mostly, um, and I haven't accounted any customer yet that wanted to do uh, unified messaging in exchange, so it had a lower priority for me. Uh, which is a shame, actually, a bit if you think about it. Yeah,
2: I, yeah. Is, um, I just uh, want to say something about um, UM. Like, I come across loads of exchange guys in big organisations that know nothing right. about well, the UM, problem is that well, one about. of the
4: problems is that um, the only thing in the exams, and not that the exams are uh, a good way to train yourself with yeah. exchange, <laughs> but nothing. Yeah, it, it doesn't have anything about unified messaging. Only uh, installation prere- 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 prerequisites and 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 uh, just to be yeah. able to install it nothing about hunt groups and, and, and dial plans and stuff like that right. actually, I, th- I think there's actually some, some uh, line in the books you had to get that information somewhere else uh, and, and I think that that makes it a lot harder for exchange people to get that knowledge and um, even without, within our own company uh, most of the people that have that knowledge are Cisco uh, certified right. people um, and none of the Microsoft people well uh, uh, the, we we uh, uh, trained our uh, uh, Cisco uh, uh, guy also to be a link uh, uh, guy so he does know a, b- a lot about uh, VoIP and, and unified messaging but the exchange part is something he doesn't know anything about so that is a problem for well
1: it was, fun- it was- speaking along those lines too yeah I mean it was funny like we were out there, out there drinking that one night, and uh, Sirkan, uh was with which me, night man. was that? So, uh,
0: well, <laughs> every night, but <laughs> it was a night that ended in Y. <laughs> if yeah, you right. check
4: my Foursquare and my Twitter, I think that, that, that every night we were somewhere wreckers. around, <laughs> around records or something like that.
1: Yeah, yeah, we met up with his voice TSP, Rory Martin, I think, is his name, and uh, and yeah. uh, you know, he was we were, we were talking Lincoln voice and dial plans and stuff, and I remember the look on Sir face was like. I have no idea what you guys are talking about. He's like, do you understand what he's saying? I'm like, no. I probably don't you know, understand three-fifths of what he's saying. It's certainly not as well as he does. But yeah, I mean, I know, you know, it's funny. Like, but some, you know, there's definitely a division there. And, and for me, UM was that kind of the thing in 2007 when, when UM, you know, it was just an exchange where it was sort of that, I'm like, I don't know what a dial plan is. And so mm. I sort of sort of drifted in a telephony world. That, and I think that's the big rift uh, uh, between the two right now. Um, and, you yeah. know, one of the biggest ironies is that, you know, the UM module in the Exchange MCM is actually not that detailed, and I learned way more about Exchange UM in the Link MCM that I did in Exchange MCM. Right. And, you know, and it's not part of it, their product. It, you know, it, right? Yeah. I, I, yeah, that is I, the
5: ironic. Thing. You can
1: always count on a Link Voice guy
5: <laughs> yeah, to you know Exchange exactly, to you know the right. yeah, yeah. MFA messaging role better I think than that's the voice wrong. Exchange guys.
4: That's totally true. <laughs> yeah, that, I think that's wrong. That should be. About- <laughs>
1: I like agree, that. and 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 it's that's, and that's one of the things I've been saying for a long time about how I think that we need to unify the two products a much in a much better way from a teaching. I mean, again, for me personally, I think Mech for you know a week long that had both link, you know, combined the, the link conference and the exchange conference into one big conference, you can pick and choose between the two. I think that makes a lot more sense to me personally, but and I, I personally would lo- love that. You know? Well, I, I, saw, I think I – Yeah, like
2: a big kind of USA
4: conference. Well,
0: I'm Yeah, sorry. I think there, there, the Interact conference was yeah. originally what that was trying to do. Mm-hmm. And the, yeah. the first one was really good, and then it kind of trailed off.
4: Huh, okay. Well, I, I thought about that actually. About uh, well, especially about um, uh, a tech itself. That um, I'm noticing that, especially the last tech ad, uh, from a technical standpoint and even a network standpoint, it's it's too big. I don't learn anything of that, and the value uh, of tech compared to uh, the Microsoft Exchange conference is just well, a big difference. So I was was already speculating about, well, shall I even go to a next tech ad? Um, Especially, well, uh, if Microsoft would um, make for each track that they do a tech ad, a different conference, I think that could work. Because um, then you have a a smaller group of highly specialized people uh, with a special interest, uh, like uh, the, the Microsoft Exchange Conference, for instance. We had a lot of people, well, most people were exchange specialists with some link knowledge attached to that um, and I think that that um, uh, focus and, and you just knew that if you, if you somebody was attending Mac uh, you just knew w- what you were talking about because you already know uh, Exchange and I think that that uh, thing helped make the conference a big success as it was uh, at least for me it was and I think if you... It- Look at uh, tech head. That that aspect, that networking, and that uh, just talking to someone you just see relaxing at, at at the pool with a Mac T-shirt on or something like that. You don't you, well in, in, during tech head. You don't approach somebody who just has a T-shirt on for tech head, but uh, a Mac. You, yeah, you can just. Uh, start talking about exchange, and you—it fits right in. Yeah. Uh, how do How do you feel about? Yeah, and
5: that was a general consensus is that Mech was was great because of that more interactive discussion, right? And and with the link conference coming up in San Diego in February of 2013, I'm really hoping that they take the same approach that they did at Mech. Yeah. Right, where it's interactive. They have a lot of the you know some maybe some developers there, a lot of the program or product group right program managers and so on that uh, yeah. can really go in a level 400 or even exactly reference earlier even up to like level 1000 yeah. <laughs> content so
0: yeah i think that the, the one issue with having uh, dedicated conferences is they tend to be tailored more towards the uh, dedicated professional which means probably in some of your larger organizations Whereas with TechEd you get more of the generalists going where right. they can they can attend sessions across uh, technologies.
1: Yeah, and if you but want to go to, and pick up the newest stuff on you know on the OS level stuff or I mean it, I mean TechEd offers a much wider variety. But yeah, for me the value is only ever when there's a new product release, um, especially Linker Exchange. Those are the you know the kind of cycles I like going on. Um, you know, and I really don't want to spend a week hanging out with SQL or SharePoint guys personally. <laughs> personally but <buddy. laughs> <laughs> <That's me. Right. laughs> yeah, I mean, well, yeah. because <laughs> so, yeah. it is a targeted.
0: It's that,
4: yeah. So there was there lost just lost some listening <laughs> Damn it, there, change, was, guys.
0: <laughs> there was a total of uh, four keynotes which uh, to me was was a, a tad much um especially because you could not attend sessions um, while the keynotes were going on there was three at the beginning and one at the very end not to say that the information wasn't uh, valuable. I thought Ross's um, uh, keynote, his technical keynote, I thought was pretty good. Um, I think they went a little long and um, and it would have been nice if given the amount of time dedicated to keynotes, if the conference could have been a day longer yeah. um, to not only compensate for that, but to allow for people to attend more of the sessions um, that they couldn't attend originally because of conflicts with another session or because of capacity. So I think... Um, I think that's one of the things that Microsoft's really going to take away from that is um, is there it, it could really have been easily one day longer. Yeah, we could have yeah. gone all day on Thursday with regular content and then had the post conference uh, uh, stuff on Friday. Um, not not to say that the post conference stuff isn't uh, isn't valuable. I heard nothing but positive things about um, the link session. Uh, there was I believe about fifty people in there. Uh, and other than a couple of technical glitches, um, people walked away with uh, quite a bit of information about uh, Link Twenty Thirteen. So I was glad to see that um, for as late as they added that session, that they still managed to oh, get a good. pretty good. I actually heard I audience. heard
1: feedback that wasn't so good, so I'm glad to actually hear something uh, uh, you know counter to that.
5: Yeah, I'm really curious what the the Link Conference uh, post conference sessions are going to be because. Uh, I, you know, the conference ends on a Thursday, and uh, Thursday is the post-conference session, so...
1: Have they announced anything yet?
5: Uh, not yet. I know one of the product group guys, uh, uh, Jamie Stark, just uh, said something on Twitter that he's actually flying out to San Diego uh, this coming week to uh, to discuss, kind of, you know, see the conference uh, location and, and how they want to do the sessions. So, I don't even think they really have... a. Uh, Next week is when they're going to plan all this. I so. Yeah, I hope I they think,
1: learn a lesson from Mac and, yeah. and get the stuff out there sooner than, than they did. Because there was a yeah, because of...
5: I need to still plan my travel. Yeah, right. right. Do I, I stay mean, there for the, that entire day exactly. or do I head when back I fail, kind yeah. of midday after the actual session, the main part of the sessions are over? And then just fly out Friday if I want to attend the post-conference session. So, yeah, ho- hopefully they do get that stuff out uh, in advance just so people can plan their travel a little bit better.
0: Yeah, well, I I know that um, in in past years or in past conferences, even even with TechEd, that you know I would fly out a day or two early and plan on staying a day or two late just to kind of you know relax a little bit, maybe attend any extra uh, sessions or, uh, or or parties put on by vendors. And for Mech this year, I said no, I'm going to streamline it. I'm going to go out the day before it starts. I'm going to leave the day that it ends. And um, you know I I was still on my way down there, and people had been there for two days and were having all kinds of fun, and I was somewhat jealous. So um, I'm certainly not going to make that mistake with uh, the link conference. Uh, plan on being out there for some, some vendor events and staying after for some of the post-con uh, content.
5: Yeah, I've even thought about staying the weekend, right? I mean, like it, I haven't been in San Diego, right? It'd be nice to kind of check out, out the area. But at the same time, right, if you don't really want to attend the post-conference uh, events, then you typically don't want to fly out that day. That's that's why I'm hoping they post
1: this stuff to, uh,
5: enough in advance. Yeah, really, yeah I, you know,
1: uh, If I do go, I might I might also because I'd like to go see MCRD again and stuff like that. I have a lot of a lot of memories in San Diego.
0: Right, <laughs> right. And there and there was uh, there was you know uh, a nice attendee party. Uh, we went to our, um, Universal Studios. Um, that was awesome. Yeah. That was that was fun. Awesome. You know, there was. Um, I did manage to talk to um, a gentleman who helped coordinate the whole event. Um, he had actually reached out to us uh, several months ago and asked us to you know, get some information out um, on MEC, which is why we were kind of hyping it so much. Um, I did run into him at, on the last day of MEC, and he said that they did meet their target of people that they expected. Um, he didn't give me a number, but a number that I heard from somebody else was around 1,700 people. Um, which, which was good. Uh, but you know, when you,
1: yeah, it didn't seem you, like that many people really. I mean, it seemed like a much smaller kind of more intimate event. Like I thought that was one of the, you know, big, it, uh,
0: well, un, until you, big, think. yeah, until you got into a keynote and then, yeah, right. you know, you get into Perry Clark's keynote and it was jammed and Ross's keynote was, was pretty full. Um, uh, but one thing I noticed is, you know, you take and grab a good chunk of uh, of u- the Universal Park and you put only, you know, 1,700 people in it. It looked like it was pretty much empty.
4: Yeah. Uh, it was a <laughs> so 3% it, capacity or something, wasn't it? Yeah.
0: Yeah, it was It was pretty low. I mean, that w- people still had fun. But, you know, if you go there during a normal day when there's a ton of families there, it, it was completely different.
4: Yeah. Um, <laughs> Well, I, I so, didn't mind the, the- because I, I hate lines at, at well roller coasters, oh, yeah. so I, I was already annoyed that well it, it said five minutes and I was like, yeah, what five minutes? So many people, oh. but it was five minutes <laughs> just walking through the whole building all, to get to all the. All I yeah. cared
1: about, all I cared about, was there was a bar every five feet and the soft pretzels were free. So I was, yeah, the
4: food and I, beer I was, was free. <laughs> oh, they, they didn't have any mojitos, so I didn't care about that.
0: So uh Microsoft uh unlike what they usually do at conferences, they did not announce the next Mac. Um they basically uh Michael Atala said, uh there will be another mech conference when Microsoft has something to say. Um, yeah I so think that's a that, great
1: idea too instead of you know just just every year you know guys that's the problem with, with TechEd sometimes I mean there's sometimes there's cycles even across all the products where there's nothing new so it's like what am I going for
4: you know well uh, the, the last TechEd sessions uh, uh, did, didn't have anything interesting right uh, be, because well Especially because Mac was already announced and, and they almost annoyingly, uh, said after every Exchange 2010 session, if you want to know anything about Exchange 2013, mm-hmm. you have to go to Mac. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, that, that's always a problem. And well, uh, perhaps we, we are going to see some, some, um, uh, Difference in that, well, because everything now is almost launched in one wave. Um, so that it's going to be interesting how they are going to do... Um, well, the the, the the first year is going to be probably uh, quite interesting. Second year, uh, well, somewhat less. But how the third year, just before, uh, like we had with last ticket, how are they going to make that interesting? Because are they already going to show some new stuff? Well, that's... Uh, Right. Uh, we're going to be interesting how Microsoft is going to handle um, uh, conferences, actually, at, at TechEd, but also Mac, uh, the link conference, and, and, and etc.
0: Right. And and one thing I, I noticed too is, unlike um, a lot of the more recent conferences, Microsoft was not ramming Office 365 down your throats. Yeah, totally. Um, there was a lot more synergy. It it came out as you know some solutions, but it wasn't you have to migrate to the cloud, it's the only way it's the future, you know, do it or die it was, yeah, we have this you know this cloud product, uh, but we also have the on-premises product as well, and, and they talked uh, somewhat transparent across them, well, which was well, I, a welcome change.
4: Well, I, actually, I think that, um, I, I don't remember which session it was, uh, either Rod Smith or Scott Snow, I, I'm not sure anymore, um, but they said that, yeah, you, you would expect that we were designing Exchange 2013 with Office 365 in, in mind, uh, but actually the opposite is is, is is the case we are designing it for on-premises deployments and Office 365 uh, team just has to deal with what we make that I'm paraphrasing of course but that was the the gist of the message I got from one of the sessions so that was uh, I expected it also the other way around that Office 365 had had more the focus
1: Right. Yeah, they actually made it. It was like sort of like this weird world where where exchange on prem still was the king <laughs> for, a, for a brief moment in time. They weren't slamming three sixty five down our faces like you were saying, you know. So it was kind of cool.
0: Right. And, and my last kind of gripe about the conference was the shuttle buses. You know, they had shuttle buses that went from, uh, from the airport to the hotel until six o'clock, uh, on that Sunday, but they did not have shuttle buses going back to the airport from the hotel after the conference was over. No, right. And that's, yeah, uh, somebody, somebody was asleep at the switch on that one, but.
1: Well, yeah. And i and I literally, my flight was like 10 minutes late and I, sure enough, I missed the, the, the five o'clock bus, you know, to get there on, uh, on Sunday, so that's 60-something bucks out of my pocket, and then, you know, yeah, I walk up to the front, hey, can I get a cab? Say another 60, 60-something bucks, so it is what it is. Yeah, for me, it is what it is, what I'm going to do, but yeah, should, right. it would be nice if we had a shuttle. Well, there th- right, was but a I-
4: Mirs shuttle for $21. You could get a, a pickup and drop off at, the, at your terminal. But, oh, really? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's because I asked the hotel have you have a shuttle service or something like that, and they pointed me to towards uh, that, and it was... Uh, but yeah, they should at least... Should have uh, uh, advertised that more uh, clearly. I think that a lot of people would have benefited from that because it was just twenty one dollars. So
0: yeah, and I guess that you know that little blip was was well worth not having to get on a shuttle bus every day to and from the conference. Yeah. So um, uh, moving along to our next topic, uh, Microsoft made another acquisition and bought. Uh, phone factor and uh, Dave you had some f- information about that.
4: Yeah well uh, it was announced uh, this week by um, uh, let me see who announced it um, it was by the uh, uh, corporate vice president Bharat uh, Shah uh, the servers and tools divisions and uh, well it's a, a multi-factor uh, multi-factor authentication uh, solution uh, for uh, mobile phones and um, they are uh, well they uh, purchased it and they already announced that they are going to implement it in uh, key uh, Microsoft technologies like Active Directory, uh, Windows Azure, Active Directory and Office 365. Um, So I'm guessing that we will probably also see the uh, integration in uh, Exchange and possibly also in in Link. Um, And I'm very happy uh, because of this development because now Microsoft will also have um, uh, well a multi-factor uh, how do you say that? A uh, uh, multi-factor authentication uh, um, uh, tool within their own um, range of, of uh, uh, solutions. Um, you already had uh, third-party solutions, but uh, I well, not a lot of people have a, a lot of experience with that. Or sometimes you have to have a, a smart card with additional hardware or a, a token, uh, which. At costs and with a, a mobile phone uh, most people already have a mobile phone or, or a work phone or a private phone so that works probably uh, for the adoption for, for a, a multi-factor authentication I think that's a, a good buy, a very interesting buy and, and uh, I'm well, very interested to see how soon we will um, um, notice some, some of these uh, new changes um, well we uh, the the uh, blog post uh, announcing this requirement uh, will obviously uh, put on our UC architects uh, site but with some additional information but um, I- I'm uh, very happy to see that they did this by uh, I'm not sure how, how you feel about that
1: yeah it's a very interesting and a good idea I think uh, um, these kind of Mobile auth, uh, you know, especially from the mobility side side and phones. Um, I like this kind of trend of having these, um, you know, authentication mechanisms be out of band of just simple username and password stuff. So I think it's a good idea.
0: Yeah. I, uh, it it would be nice. uh, I've got quite a few clients that use two factor authentication for, um, internal access. And it would be nice to see how Microsoft's going to extend that. Although I don't know if I can get a card slot into my uh, my uh, Lumia 900, uh, but uh, be well, I, I
4: I'm not sure how the how the technology works. Uh, I haven't read that that part yet, but uh, I think that's an additional code uh, via SMS or perhaps right, even right. Uh, an, a mobile application or something right. like that. Um, and
1: yeah, and I think they're playing. And, and, and again, you know, this is something Google's been doing for a while, and you know, exactly. like even Blizzard are doing it. And uh, f-
4: Facebook also has uh, something like that, um, and, and right. it, it's necessary uh, because now. And I hope I also hope that the, this technology also permeates to um, Outlook.com or Hotmail and and all the other um, uh, n- uh, non-enterprise products from Microsoft uh, because nowadays it, it, you should have. Multi-factor, multi-factor authentication because just one uh, username a password yeah, i mean even ssl the uh, https sessions aren't always that secure as you might think um so this will add some additional uh, layer of security um although i'm not a security expert so don't pee me on something i said now but uh, uh, to round up uh, i'm very happy with this buy.
5: yeah hopefully it- you know, hopefully we see that uh, come over to the Link side of the house, right? Because, uh, like Pat, right, I have a bunch of clients as well that require two-factor authentication, and uh, you know, a couple clients went far as that they didn't even deploy external access to Link just because you know there's no dual-factor authentication solution with right. Link Server 2010, and there is no dual-factor you know solution as well for Link Server 2013. So you know, hopefully you know. It, When Microsoft acquires companies, it typically takes, you know, around a year to really kind of see it. Ah, uh, come to life, you know, within the Microsoft suite of products. So maybe you know, maybe for Exchange, uh 2015, 2016, whatever Microsoft calls it, and the next version of Link, uh, maybe we'll start seeing some dual-factor authentication or even multi-factor authentication utilizing some of this technology that they're acquiring.
4: Well, uh, I'm hoping in a service pack, and not in the next version of of uh, Link or Exchange. But well, just we'll, we'll have to see and wait, wait and see.
0: Yeah, it would be nice to see what comes up. Next up, we have uh, some information about Exchange 2010 Service Pack 3. And, John, you wanted to touch on that.
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, uh, it was was actually kind of announced. I mean, they started talking about it at MEC, but they actually made the announcement. Exchange made the announcement while we are at MEC kind of in a formal way. Um, so we don't have the hard ETA uh, yet. If you look, this, uh, 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 September 25th was Exchange Team when they made the announcement on the, uh, on the Exchange Team page. Um, but basically, you know, it's two, two key things um, are coming with it. Uh, one is going to be coexistence with Exchange uh, you know, 2013, so you won't be able to join a 2013 server into a, a, an org um, and any kind of coexistence model without having uh, all, all... And they made it clear that not just in sight, like in some previous generations were, but they were saying all 2010 servers in the org needed to be done in SP3 before you can introduce the first 2013 uh, servers. So, I mean, we, and some of this is kind of expected. Um, we kind of get that. Um, some of the technical things they did go into in, in Mac, um is one of the reasons why was server-to-server OAuth is, um, is, uh, is going to be... Uh, placed on the virtual directories, um, and that, I thought that was interesting. So, like, there's an actual technical reason. That's kind of a new thing, um, and a technical aspect for why we have to have this. So it's kind of cool um, to know why. And we kind of, like I said, have got that mech. And the second thing will be support for uh, Server 2012 and Exchange 2010, which obviously is a huge deal for a lot of people. And uh, I think you know is a good, is a great. A great thing because, uh, it's much more simple to deploy on 2012. Um, and, you know, you're not having to maintain that backwards old version of a server OS just be one application. Um, and right now, the you know, public knowledge is that it's sometime in the first half of next year. We're hoping to see that much more sooner than later, but, um, there's no hard ETA data. Well,
4: you said, uh, support for, uh, Windows Server 2012. Um, to be specific, they said you can install it on. Windows Server 2012 with Server Spec 3, just like they did with Exchange 2007 Search uh, 3. You could install it in 2008 or 2 uh, right? But they didn't mention anything, um, um, if I read it correctly, uh, about uh, domain and forest functional level. Uh, is there already something known about that? That the
1: yeah, it was still all still O3. It was still all. Uh... Um uh, 2003, four is in and domain functional. Nothing's changed there. There will be a schema update with with Service Pack three. Right. Um but no, not I haven't seen anything that said in fact I think they said it back in the setup class that uh, that uh it's just gonna be the same. I mean yeah, if, I think but, about, if you think about but, it.
4: But but will uh XH twenty ten will be will it be supported in combination with uh, a two thousand twelve Oh, I see what you're saying. Year. Yeah. A minimum level. Th- that they didn't say anything about that, I think. At least I not would, in I an can't why, yeah, I yeah, can't imagine what. Yeah, I can't imagine that. But uh, I guess we'll find out, <laughs> right? Yeah, I haven't heard Yeah. It. yeah,
5: yeah. Well, well it, Yeah, I haven't heard anything on that either. And uh, if if you look at the if you look at the Exchange 2013 preview documentation right now, there's, uh, it, it's pretty much, that section is pretty much the same as Exchange 2010. It doesn't mention 2012 domain function level, force function level, and really the same thing in the Link 2013 preview documentation. It, it's really the same as in 2000, yeah. uh, 2010. There's no discussion about 2012 DFL and FFL. Uh, I'm assuming, by the time we get RTM documentation, that that certainly will most likely be in there, though. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah I mean, even in my home lab, I, I, I extended for 12 and have 12 DCs up. I don't think I flipped uh, forest functionally yet. We'll uh, take a look at that. If on ne- yeah, I- I next episode, I'm complaining that everything's broken, you know why.
5: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there isn't even a mention to actually having 2012 DCs to begin with, regardless of DFL or FFL, so I don't think even that information has been announced. I mean, obviously right? up with the link server 20. 13 suite of products in exchange 2013 right all the way 15 products i mean obviously they're going to end up supporting so for 2012 but uh but it, as far as officially in the documentation none of that's in there yet
0: okay good hopefully it will come out sooner than later moving on to our next topic um and one that we've had some questions about and one that uh i know that i've asked some of our my link colleagues about is building a link lab so what you need to do to have a, an existing lab that you can kind of kick the tires test out very vari- various uh, scenarios and configurations and what works what doesn't work what you need what you don't need so uh, justin you wanted to touch base on that first
2: Yeah, sure thing. So I think there's a lot of things to think about um, when deploying a lab environment to test out uh, link functionality. And and that depends on if you've got a bit of an existing environment that you need to slot uh, link into or you're going through a complete greenfield. And then there's also some uh, things, some questions to answer around. What is it you want to achieve with your lab? You know, do you want to familiarize yourself with the architecture and deployment? Uh, functionality, or do you want something that you've got quick access to that you can test things like policies and configurations on? Um, so just to give some background, um, I'll just describe what my lab environment kind of looks like. So uh, my day-to-day uh, setup is that I've got some local virtual machines running on my uh, my MacBook Air. Um, that I just, uh, spin up when I need to, um, to do some quick configuration and policy, uh, combination checks. So say if a customer tells me we want to be able to do, um, audio and video disabled, but still provide, um, audio conferencing and turn off file sharing and, um, do a certain dial plan or something like that, I can jump onto an environment quickly and, um, validate that, that, um, that configuration, uh, for that scenario. Uh, but then if there's a scenario where I need to do a, um, a wider sort of architecture check. Um I'll actually log into our uh Hyper V hosts and modality and um and, and look at that kind of thing there. So um I'll go and see, you know, how does uh a, a Enterprise edition front end pool in Link twenty thirteen behave when I take out a server or how does the uh pool failover uh functionality work and things like that. So um anything beefier than um something a standard edition server can't handle I uh I go up to go up to the cloud um in a way. So yeah, so it just depends on either if you want to deploy that into your own environment or to your own company's VM resources. I know a lot of guys have got quite, um, well established lab environments, you know, that it could be running on, on multiple, uh, physical hardware, you know, like in their study or something. So, you know, definitely all power to you if you want to utilize that. Um, but some guys maybe a little bit more, a little more light on, um, so that's sort of just a bit about how you want to deploy and to what resources. And uh, then there's something to think about, about what version uh, you want to support. You know, do you want to go the current of Link 2010 or do you want to just dump, jump straight into Link Server 2013 in the preview? Or um, maybe you've got a specific requirement where you need to test some legacy uh, coexistence. So you may need to first start out with building uh, an OCS 2007 R2 environment and then introduce your version of Link, if you're testing out the, those kind of migration scenarios. Uh, so there's, there's definitely that uh, issue of what version you want to support. And then also around, uh, you know, are you going to go with standard edition, as I said, uh, with a bit of a light touch approach, or go the full-blown um, enterprise edition deployment with uh, SQL servers, be those clustered uh, for 2010 or, or mirrored for 2013, if you want to be able to test all that nice HA stuff. Um so there are a lot of questions that you need to sort of ask yourself here. And in addition to that, there's also the other workloads within Link that you need to think about where if you're going to just go, go all in the whole hog, complete investment, then ideally you want to test some voice stuff as well. So, you know, are you going to um, maybe spin up a, a cheap SIP trunk from a provider and bring that into, um, into your lab or? Maybe you can go a bit old school and have like a uh, analog pots line coming into the lab and terminate that on a um, little analog gateway, which uh, you can then plug into the mediation server role in link, and you can start testing things like dial plans and voice policies and and routes and things like that um, to get a bit of your skills up in that in that respect. Um, so there's definitely uh, a lot of different ways to approach this. Um, you know, a lot of different ways to skin a cat. Uh, but uh, I'm sure, you know, like uh, Tom or uh, Elon, you guys have uh, definitely had some experience with this. you uh, got some, some input.
0: Yeah, I actually wanted to jump in and say that, you know, people, people talk about SIP trunks, and um, you can actually get a SIP trunk pretty cheap. So even if you're building this in a home lab, places like Intellipier yeah, and, and some of fun. those companies will, will bring a sip trunk into your house for like 30 bucks a month. So
1: yeah, even I mean, less than that. And, and uh, uh, I have, I've had Intellipier Intellip- for years and I think on most months I pay more for my DIDs than I do for my actual usage. Um, and like, you know, it goes in varies from month to month, but my highest usage I've ever used and that's using it pretty much as a, as a real dedicated line. I think I my yeah, my bill last month was 35 bucks and that's a ton of usage. So it's really, uh, uh, and you pay. There's no contract, at least in my setup. Uh, with TelPir, you know you pay. You pay 50 cents a month per DID, and the rest is just usage at a certain flat rate, and uh, um, it's uh, pretty good. But yeah, there's yeah. If you have needs for international stuff too, there's um, inner route is one for Europe that the people have been using. But uh, there's a lot of options out there, and getting
2: really- yeah, yeah. There's one. There's one that um, I used to use in Australia called uh, Ionet. That was sort of one of the um, pioneers of, uh, of VoIP for consumer, um, in Australia where they would just, they would just, they just give SIP trunks away. Um, and at the time, like there wasn't that, that much, that many sort of gateways, um, on the market. This was like OCS 2007 days. And I was sort of thinking like, oh, how could I get like this SIP trunk that my, uh, ISP are going to give me and plug it into, um, OCS and it was a bit of a challenge of the day. But, um, but I mean, right now, like if you, you know, had a good relationship with a gateway vendor or something, maybe you could, uh. Russell yourself one to plug into. You know, if you're a listener in Australia, um, uh, definitely you know look into that that option potentially. Yeah, but there's tons of different you know, ITSPs around the world that would definitely um. Jump on board. Yeah, and and, and I'm
1: I mean, for, for those that are listening that you know actually want to do it from a learning experience, there's there's both you know both an analog gateway. I mean, I I kind of started with analog gateway, uh, an audio codes one fourteen, which are pretty inexpensive. I mean, I didn't know what FXO and FXS meant at the time and ordered the wrong one, you know, wrong version and stuff. You got you know, you, there's a <laughs> lot to learn in, in that stuff, especially if you have if you have no telephony background. Um, it's a whole other planet, you know. And uh, so it, yeah. it, you know, an audio uh, an analog gateway is a great way to learn kind of the these core basic stu- things um, on how. You that it brought you know how PSTN works and interoperability with with uh, voice and you know and PSTN, but a SIP trunk is a hell of a lot easier. <laughs> so you know. Like-
5: it... it, it- <laughs> And it's also good to have one of those MP114s, right? I have one of those as well. And uh, I, I actually have uh, asterisks deployed at home. And what I do is I, I basically trunk in through a provider called MS, And all I have to do is just pay for DIDs and, and usage, right? So I only really use it for lab purposes. So right. I have three, ID, three DIDs, you know, two that go to different response group, and then one that goes to an actual user that I can just answer from, you know, if I'm remote. And I think I pay like 2 $3 a month you know, and I get to test, you know, going to my lab. And, and what's nice is like with link 2010, I have uh, essentially, you know, a trunk going to asterisk and asterisk trunks it off to, uh, you know, sends it off to link. And I also have that MP114, like I said, and that sends it off to link. You know, one of the nice things with link 2013 is inner trunk routing. You can actually pass a call off to link and have link send it off to another PBX system, right? Which again, that's a new feature in link 2013. So what I plan on doing, and I haven't done it yet is that, one of the cool things you can try out is do that same scenario right have something going into an in asterisk for example right and maybe have that sent off to link and if you have a couple phones that are hanging off of your audio codes which i do you can just tr- trunk those numbers through link right to your audio codes gateway and test it in her trunk
1: routing functionality right link still link voice is still not past the wife test yet it's not you know I, I can't get her to she's got a DID assigned but she she won't use it um, but one of the other things too of having uh, at least at least in to the, in, you know the, the current product set with the, the Wave One uh, mobile client is that to do anything with Link Mobile and Voice uh, right now for any platform you need to have an outbound dial capability. Uh, so it's really handy to have a SIP trunk or something to, because now you can actually use you know all the all the all the functionality of the Link Mobile client. That's going to change you know down the road, but but right now it's the only way the right way to do uh, any of that stuff with the mobile clients.
5: Right, and, and like I mentioned, right, I, I use Asterisk. Right, there's Asterisk is basically a free- free PBX solution out there. You don't have to pay for it. There is support options that you can pay for, uh, but it's basically just built off of a a Linux distro, right? So I use a a solution called free Free PBX distro, right? And that's built on top of CentOS, uh, which leverages the asterisk PBX functionality. But free PBX is essentially kind of like a, a web console you can use instead of having to just use the command line interface, right? So... I basically go to the free BBX site, and they have their own distro, which again deploys Asterisk on CentOS, and then automatically deploys their own GUI on top of it, and that allows you to do SIP trunks, it allows you to do AIX trunks, uh, it allows you to to route to multiple systems, voicemail, um, a, a, lo- a lot of stuff, right? Some smaller shops will even use Asterisk as their actual production yeah. telephony. Like
1: Trixbox is sort of like a like a you know for-profit uh, bundling of of Asterisk, right? Right, yeah.
5: And Trixbox is essentially another kind of uh, distro for uh, for it, Asterisk. it Used to be,
2: you, it, I think that I think they've I think they've um they've like given up support on Trixbox now as well. Okay, I don't then. think it's like. Yeah, I think it's pretty much dead. Um, a guy emailed me today actually, uh, asking about like his experience uh, with free PBX and had I had done anything with it. And he's done um, heaps of stuff into it now, and is basically saying how free PBX does a much better job than Trixbox and um, there's it does, tons of communities. It, to it does free a great people.
5: job. I mean, I I've really it's been a blast. It's been easy to set up, easy to manage, at least from um, you know sending calls off the link. It, and, it, uh, it
1: used to be asterisk only. Did, it works well. did UDP? Does that that's changed now? I say that again. I don't know, yeah. Because I thought it used to be – I mean, I, it's been years since I looked into using asterisk, but uh, it used to be I thought that they only did UDP and we couldn't, we couldn't talk to it well, directly.
2: Well, you can't actually do TCP. No, yeah, definitely. Um, back in the day, sort of, yeah, OCS 2007 days, I was in the exact same scenario where um, company I was working for was using asterisk and, yeah, it only talks SIP UDP and I needed to use this, like, SIP uh, back-to-back user agent to take the UDP and turn it into TCP so the mediation server would understand right. it. And, uh, yeah, the, the signaling got a bit nasty and lost in the, in the process and, uh, calls weren't getting turned out, uh, torn down properly and things. And it wasn't a good experience for users. But it, yeah. It, I mean, it, it does support TCP right now, okay. right? The,
5: the key thing that you have to do, if you look at the free PBX GUI, uh, this is, <laughs> so when I first started setting up, this is, uh, it took me about 20 minutes to, to figure out how to do this, but it was UDP only. So I'm like, okay, well, wh- I can tell that to 50, 60, right? Right. Um, Oh, was listening? No, no, no. Sorry, I couldn't that to it. I'm like, well, it's definitely listening, right? We'll tellnet does not work with UDP, right? It only works with TCP. Right. So I'm like, I can't TCP to anything or telnet to anything. Well, What's and, going on? See you for anyway. I, I, <laughs> And then I realized, okay, well, it's listening on UDP. How can I enable TCP? If you look at the advanced options, uh, right in FreePBX GUI, there's nothing that allows you to enable TCP. But what I found is that if you actually go into the command line interface and you go into the SIP configuration files, there's a way to actually turn on TCP. And when you actually launch FreePBX GUI again, it'll actually, you go to that same page, it'll say, hey, there's some manual modifications to um, you know, the SIP configuration file. But after I do that, I can tell them that to 5060, and then all of a sudden my trunk works between link and asterisk.
1: Do you find that there's an advantage of using asterisks over just having a SIP trunk coming into a mediation?
5: Um, I, I wanted to kind of more simulate an actual kind of a production environment that ha- is doing some kind of coexistence, right? Sure. So I can have, so for example, when you have uh, asterisks up, right, you can register um, phones to it, obviously, right, because it's a PBX. But on my, on a couple of machines I have, um, you know, I, th- I think it's called the—I don't use it anymore—but uh, I think it's called the Xfire X check line. Forgot what it is, but uh, it's a free. Uh, P- X there you go. Oh yeah, uh, so yeah, I, yeah. I've used X Lite client to basically light up some some DIDs right, or right. extensions. They use that Linkup to the
1: X Lite client.
5: Yep, and then call between you know them two, or call between that in a Link user, call that between that in an audio codes user. Which again, I, I can't do just yet between uh, Asterix and audio codes. I have to set up the inner trunk routing on Link 2013 first, but. Um, so I that that's why I use an asterisk just to kind of simulate a more production environment instead of just having something come in the mediation server and done.
1: Yeah, and like I say, to go like say it in the chat too. I mean, I yeah, I, I used to have uh, analog line coming in for, for you know, in the, my one fourteen in the exchange and then OCS, but um, now we have Comcast uh, voice in the U.S. here, and so that they use PCS or something. It's not SIP, so I can never get it to work.
0: So what is uh. What's a good solution for a uh, reverse proxy? i know I, I just read something um in the last couple of days about doing Apache as a reverse proxy for for a link uh, you know in a in a lab environment, is that what people are using or are you guys using t m g still okay t m g yeah
3: mm-hmm. yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I find TMG's has become increasingly like my main kind of egress point for all kinds of stuff now. I even uh, followed some uh, you know, articles on getting uh, RD Gateway. Um, I used to have a dedicated, you know, I used to have a, a, a dedicated, I you know, a, a public IP for my uh, TS Gateway, but now I have that coming in through TMG as well, which, you know, allowed me to get back another, another one of my <laughs> 443 addresses. Yeah, so.
0: Right, and of course uh, you won't be able to buy licenses for TMG after December 1st, so get them while you can. <laughs>
1: well, that was, okay, so there's yeah. a, another, another <laughs> Mech anecdote. So it was like Wednesday night, and like it's 2 o'clock in the morning, and who comes out to the bar uh, is Greg Taylor and a, and a bunch of other guys, and we were we literally were arguing, Sir Ken was there, we were arguing, arguing about TMG for like an hour while we drank and smoked cigarettes. It was awesome. <laughs> (laughs)
4: i wasn't there was i no i wasn't there no
1: i don't think you were
4: i think you went to bed early that time yeah (laughs) so So, um yeah yeah
3: probably i think on the labs we've all kind of jumped straight on the most interesting thing which is the the sip trunks and the external access and stuff like that not not to scare people off you can start as simple as you know 1dc 1se and exchange um And you can run that on kind of 8 gigs of RAM. So you can start off really, uh, really light. You don't need some super Uber server. Um, Start playing around with that and you'll get a real good idea. Then adding in Asterix or Snom or something like that will again give you really good voice experience. Um, I think due to the people who are on the podcast, we've all got pretty silly labs at home or or, um, at work or whatever it is. But if you can get up to something like 32 gigs of RAM, which um, I built a, a home rig, just a white box which is 32 gig for about 600 pounds probably that's probably about a thousand dollars um and and certainly look to your your employers particularly if you're uh you're working for a microsoft partner look to get sponsorship on that because these are these are good skills to be to be rounding out and if you're willing to put your time into it they should be willing to support you i think um for me i tend to say that that's the small lab the one dc the one sc the exchange um and some clients the medium lab is kind of two ES or an FE pool and SQL server. And, and once you get to FEs, that's more what you're likely to see in a proper enterprise deployments. Um, and then you've got your kind of Uber lab where you add in a virtual hardware load balancer, your reverse proxy, your edge server. But then you're well into having public IPs and, and right. some other bits and pieces, which, you know, it, it's all doable from home or from, from work, but just requires a little bit more effort.
1: Yeah, and again, like like you're saying, I mean, it's really, I mean, it sounds like it's very complicated, but it, I mean, getting all the bits to work can be, I mean, if you're starting from scratch, but um, it really isn't, and that's what I, I said, I was saying earlier about SIP trunking. It really is a lot easier in a lot of ways uh, uh, than 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 going with an analog gateway, and some, and people would be surprised how actually easy it can be. I mean, obviously, when you're setting it up, you have to, you know, if you really don't understand uh, the link side of things, when you're diagnosing um, with the guy from the SIP trunk provider, because there's always a, you know, kind of a turn up phase, right? So they give your address you set it up on link and you can figure it and then there's a you know kind of a period where you test it and if you know dialing you know if, if, if you're dialing out and it's and, and it's getting you know fast busy or whatever and you're on the phone with the guy at least you have to kind of know understand how it works you know to, to walk walk through it and figure it out but uh, usually these providers are pretty good at understanding uh, they're, getting, they're getting certainly better at understanding the link side too so they'll say hey you know maybe you don't have your normalization right or something they can kind of see from their side so um, it shouldn't sound daunting but you know just a little bit to learn but it, it, that's kind of the point I, I would think also I mean that's it's learning how this stuff works uh, is kind of the fun for me, anyway. And yeah, and, and to your point. I kind of have, uh, I you know, sort of it, uh, short of a load balancers. I have um, I'm obviously a, a pool of public addresses, but uh, an edge and standard edition server and and uh, multi you know multi node DAG and stuff like that. And you have and uh, but uh, but for me, it's actually become it's it's actually there's a practical value. I I live in an area where whatever reason my basement my cell phone signal is pretty bad and so when I'm working from home I I can't you know unless I'm tying up unless I'm tying up one of our actual phone lines I needed a kind of a, a line that, that was dedicated to my business uh, you know stuff so um, I use my SIP trunk for that reason and uh, there's nothing cooler than being able to be you know I'm on a way to go to work and uh, uh, I'm on a call you know on a link voice call with my headset I forward it to my cell phone walk out the door it hits bluetooth in my car and you know and nobody knew I even changed uh, modalities and <laughs> In that in that respect modalities right made from house to car.
0: <laughs> and and you touched on a, an important thing is that um, you can do 90% of what you want to do uh, internally in your own network, on a, on a private network. It's when you want to do uh, mobility and uh, voice to the outside world and, and things like that, federation, uh, that you need to start having uh, public IP addresses. And then um, you get more into uh, reverse proxies and, and firewalls and things like that. But you can do a, a big chunk of uh, getting used to Link and testing out various scenarios without ever having to go outside.
2: Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, I mean, I, I would recommend people just to sort of, like, install a pretty, like, straightforward internal deployment on their own hardware, and then, you know, at least they can kick the tires, as you said, and, and get familiar with the product, um, you know, and, and then maybe leave it until they can get some more sort of on-hands on, on hands, uh, work experience with the, like, reverse proxy and voice stuff.
0: Right. And uh, moving along, um, Elon has come out with uh, a couple of pretty cool scripts to help uh, kind of streamline uh, some configuration. And uh, Elon, what do you got?
5: Okay, so I came out with two scripts. They do similar things. Uh, first, let's the first script I came out with is called New desk CS Single Region Network Script. Right. So one of the th- one of the things that I've always kind of aided in deployments is, okay, well, let's go talk to Active Directory. Let's get all the subnets. Um, let's kind of bring that in manually into the, into the network sites, right? So I want a way to automate that. And, you know, before I talk about how it gets automated, right, there's a few reasons why you may want to create your network sites, right? So network sites and subnets and regions, those are all used for... Uh, primarily for call mission control. And call mission control is where you can basically define, right, the maximum amount of bandwidth you want for link between your sites, right? You can restrict it. You can have it basically, if, if your WAN links are too saturated, you can have it route out through, let's say, a gateway or your edge servers and so on, or to unified messaging, right, your voicemail, right? Another way you can leverage that is controlling media bypass behavior, right? So two media bypass options is one where you can enable media bypass globally, which is where a client can talk G.711 directly to their gateway, right? And then the other side is by using uh, network sites and regions, which means that you would only do G.711 directly to a gateway if you were, um, if that gateway was in the same site and has the same bypass ID because they're both in the same site. Uh, the other thing that it can be used for is uh, location policies, right? You can assign location policies to network sites, which means if you travel from one location to another location, if you're not using an enhanced 911, you're just using uh, PST and gateways for 911, right? as you change locations, it'll pick that up, assign you a new location policy, and you'll always route 911 calls to that local gateway, and then the last option that it really benefits you from is if you go into your uh, media quality reports for your monitoring server, you can actually start seeing calls from uh, location quality reports. So if you have problems between one site and another site, it'll actually tell you what sites they were because you have those defined. Right. So back to my script, the uh, new SCS single region network script essentially only works with one region. And the reason why is because I wanted something completely automated, where it'll look at all Active Directory uh, sites, subnets. It'll create those sites and subnets for you, and it'll basically assign those sites to the only single region that exists in Link. So completely automated. You don't have to do anything. The other script I created was new das multi-region network script. So that's not as automated. What it does is it actually takes all your Active Directory sites and subnets And pushes them out to a CSV file. And in that CSV file, you can modify what location policies should be assigned to that site, what region should be assigned to that site, what bandwidth policy, again, location policy and all that stuff. Anything that can be associated with a site is in that CSV file. So because you're specifying a region on those lines, right, it will, you essentially run the command again in import mode and it will create all the regions in that csv file that don't yet exist in link and then it'll essentially create those sites assign them to the region in that same line that they're assigned to and then it'll create the subnets and associate with the site and then again assign the location policies and bandwidth policies and if you make changes to the to the csv file if you run the script in update mode it'll update all those uh, bandwidth policies and location policies um, as you have to find in the csv so again i just wanted to create a you know a couple scripts that will help people automate uh the provisioning of sites regions and subnets and all that cool
0: yeah very cool and we'll certainly have a link to both of those scripts on the summary page for this episode so Elon thanks for the the hard work no problem glad i could help and uh our next topic uh is link and exchange exams and uh, some changes in those exams and Tom you've got some information about those
3: Yeah, yeah. Credit to uh, Tom Day at uh, linkme.blogspot.co.uk for flashing this up on everybody's uh, RSS feeds. Um, the, The Link 2013 exams and Exchange 2013 exams, the scope of them has been published now and the exam numbers... So, Link is uh, 7336 and 7337, and Exchange is 7341 and 7342. Um, there's no dates officially on those yet. There's some approximations on the sites, but the full scopes are there. So, if you're interested in what's uh, on exams, there's uh, the scopes available if you can only start. What, what's particularly interesting is to be an MC IPT, uh, ITP rather, on Exchange or Link or SharePoint for that matter. Um, you have to pass the MCSA on Server 2012. So Microsoft are forcing you to do Server 2012, either the the three exams like uh, MCSE 2003 or 2008, or the the one upgrade exam, which is 7417. And you can upgrade from any other MCIPT. So even if you're a Link 2010 admin on Exchange 2010 app, you only have one Server 2012 exam to jump up to MCIPT on Server 2012, which I don't think is an upgrade track they've had before for server, I think for you had to do one exam if you were 2003 to 2008 or 2000 to 2003. But this time it seems the uh, requirement is just being a MCIBT of the, the core subjects. Anyone got any thoughts on uh, having to do server 2012 exams? Yeah, I, I think it's a good
1: idea. I mean, it's I don't, I don't remember in history having to, to do it. And, and, and my understanding is you can still take the test. They just won't show up on your transcript until you finish the, the 4.17, right?
3: Yeah, I believe that's correct. So yeah. you'd have to have all three to get the proper MCRPT 2013
1: title. Yeah, and I actually have been starting to prepare. There's a I should probably put a link up to it. There was a there's a sort of like a, a online training thing coming at the end of October. Um, I forget all the particulars, but it was sort of like an a virtual classroom to to study for um the 417. Um we'll put a link up to that, but uh I'm planning I signed up for it. But I yeah. I'm getting ready to to do my 417. That's my next <laughs> my next test. <laughs>
3: Well, I think it's a good idea overall, because basically you have to know server to be able to do link or exchange or sharepoint properly and 2012 has changed quite a bit so um, it's worth having to understand that to be qualified in those subjects
4: well yeah. well yeah I agree it, it, it's, it's quite logical to have that uh, prerequisites I think so I, I don't mind uh, especially I, I, I think a, a good exchange um, uh, admin or a technician a technical specialist uh, and, and even so with link you should know about the operating system you are going to deploy uh, you are a going to use most of the times and and even if it's not only for deployment but also for for, for troubleshooting for tools you have to use uh etc cetera, etc cetera. so that I think that it's logical what i do um, do, um uh, I'm interested in is the um, uh, the level uh, the the, the uh, technical uh, level and deepness of the uh, exchange of what well, for me the exchange exams uh, because the ex, uh, the exchange 2010 exams were quite um, easy, um, and didn't really prepare one for um, the the um, um, real-life environments. At least that's my take on it. So I hope that the quality of the exams uh, will be somewhat tougher.
1: Yeah, I mean, I know that's something that they're definitely working on, and they're trying to align... Um, you know, they, they, they announced the changes to the, the MCM is now MCSM. And it's kind of like, you know, they're trying to, to expand the depth of the MCITP in terms of difficulty. And ha- so it, it hands off better to the MCSM, right? Because right now we have, you know, the MCITP tests are like, you know, they're not really that hard. And then MCM is like a whole totally different planet. So kind of something that, that kind of you know that, that stretches into each other a lot better than they are doing today.
4: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because uh, that, that's one problem I have today. Because uh, as as uh, I want to, I am certified for for twenty ten, uh, but I see a, a big, a huge gap between the uh, MCITP 2010 e- exams and the uh, MCM, or the, the the Certified Master uh, exams, uh, at least uh, for what you have to do for it. Um, and there should be something in between, but I also understand that they don't want to do something in between. Um, but if they make the exams, the, just the, the basic exchange with the 13 exams a lot tougher, um, it um, makes the exam more valuable, I think. And um, um, also... Uh, um more helpful for for uh customers and, and it services uh, companies to um, see that as a an, an, an more correct assessment of one's abilities i hope
1: yeah and, and the the uh was it to 70 the, the second link exam uh the, the the pro exam um had the case studies and I, I that's one thing that they've had off and on in certain tests over the years and i really like that format um uh, personally because it really does give you the kind of you know uh, you know, from a consulting background, so you know, listening to the client's requirements, you know, those are kind of you know in, you know outlined out in the uh, in the in the, uh, uh, the text, and you know, and then the anchor questions are based on what you read in terms of the requirements. So it's, I think it's a good exercise, and I like those kind of formats. I hope to see yeah. more of those.
0: Yeah, I think it really makes you have to think more about the total scenario. There's a lot of information in some of those scenarios. Well, that pretty much does it for our uh, topics for this episode. Uh, we did have one tip, my uh, Matt Landis tip of the day. Uh, this was something I read about a couple of days ago. In that, you can actually talk to Link and have it um, uh, transcribe what you're saying into in- instant message dialog boxes. And, um, and Matt documents how to do this. Basically, you're using the Windows uh, text to s- or speech to text uh, uh, application built into Windows 7 and later. Um, and it works with email too so you just start talking and it transcribes as you go along um and you can you can correct information as you need to uh, and have it send so um check out Matt's tip we'll have a, a a link to that on our summary page so thanks Matt for that tip
1: yeah for people who've never used that uh um, there's a similar, uh, function in Link, um, for, for response groups where you can, uh, actually take text and then the response group, you know, the incoming message or whatever, whatever it might be or, or, or say a multi value, you know, press one for sales, you can have the text put in there. Uh, it's pretty cool. And you can actually have it in certain languages too. So our language support and dialects, you know, so UK English or whatever, uh, Australian, I think, is in there. It's kind of, you, you can also, just for, just for sake of humor, you can have a lot of fun feeding it, you know, <laughs> certain text. I, I gave it, I gave it the lyrics, to brass monkey from the, from the BC Boys voice and (laughs) and they had a new zealand accent it's pretty funny
0: (laughs) right so that that does it for tips Uh, a couple of events that we wanted to touch on one of course is uh, the link conference coming up in february in san diego and we'll have a link uh, to the conference website for that and then um, tom you had some information about a user group in london
3: yeah, yeah. Uh, my, Justin, and, and Adam Jacobs uh, user group is on the 25th of October. The, the Microsoft UC user group London, if you just search for that on the web, you'll find it. Um, this this time we're talking about Polycom endpoints and also uh, link PBX interoperability scenarios. So we uh, we go quite deep and quite technical if you're in or around London, uh, but it'd be good to see you coming down.
0: Great. Maybe you guys can discuss a place for me to get some inexpensive... Um, replacement handsets for my cx600s
1: <laughs> my screen's
3: going on <laughs> mine big line across it <laughs> i have
0: i have four cx600s in my lab and every one of them has a dead handset huh.
3: are they all under warranty Pat? As i'm sure they are no i uh, i got them second hand so oh, kinda... you will bang out a luck aren't you <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think i'm stuck
1: yeah my only problem is that, like i said i got, I got like a uh, the lcd's kind of on the fritz a little bit on mine so
0: and one last event we'd like to mention is uh, something that Dave wants to plug. Dave, what do you have?
4: Yeah, well, in the Netherlands, we have the uh, NGN. It's a, a sort of a user group for, for admins. And on October 31st, we have an exchange day uh, in which uh, a lot of MVPs and uh, Michel de Roy, for instance, uh, is also attending, um, Jaap Veselius. And, um, well, it's an exchange day with a lot of Exchange 2013 uh, uh uh, topics. Um, uh, Johan Veldhuis is also is uh, attending. Also UC Architects. Um, uh, and well, uh, just go to ngn.nl and look for uh, the event and uh, sign up. There are, I think, there are some costs to it, but uh, you can see all that on the webpage. We we'll put that uh, link up on our uh, UC Architects uh, page. So uh, October thirty first. Great. Well, thanks for
0: that info. I'd like to thank the uh, co-host for this week, John Cook, Justin Morris, Tom Arbuthnot, and Dave Stork. Of course, uh, our guest, Elon Shudnow. Thanks for stopping by, Elon. Uh, we'd like to uh, thank our producer, Dave. Uh, great work, as, as always. Uh, not sure who's going to be the editor yet, if it's going to be Michael or not. He's probably still a little, uh, little jet-lagged, so maybe we'll uh, corral Steve into, uh, into doing that. Uh, We want to remind you that the UC Architects are online. Visit our website at www.theucarchitects.com. Follow us on Twitter at The UC Architects. Check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash theucarchitects. And we have a group on LinkedIn. Uh, Podcast episodes are available in the iTunes Store, the Zoom Marketplace, and your favorite RSS clients such as Outlook. See our website for links to everything. Thanks for stopping by. We'll see you back for the next episode with Steve hosting.